0: Wallace to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down. Wonderful
1: try.
0: We have a mole, Jim. Diggs like a demented mole there. He just rushed through the defense. Just watch this. On est en Espagne aujourd'hui pour une finale européenne et un match qui promet
2: beaucoup, un mini-France-Irlande finalement.
1: Good evening and welcome to the mailcast. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Um I was the one who was tweeting wildly about the game <laughs> in a highly emotional state <laughs> shortly after winning it. And I think it's only it's only fair to say having rewatched the game that it was not ruined by Wayne Barnes. And I think uh I was glad a lot of people agreed with me at the time when I tweeted it, but uh realistically that's probably just because they don't like Wayne Barnes. Um, but I, 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 upon watching it, um, it was a dog of a game. Uh, it remains a dog of a game, but I, I couldn't place the blame on the referee at all.
2: Yeah, uh, Wayne Barnes refereed Ireland-Wales and did a really good job that day, and I don't think anybody was unhappy to see him named as the ref for the final. Now, I have to say, I, I don't think he did a particularly good job, um, but nor do I think he did a particularly bad job. I think it was a difficult game to referee. There's a lot of canny players on the pitch, and there was a lot of um, there was a lot of there was a low grade cheating um, atmosphere throughout the game. There was a lot of rolling on to the wrong side, um, and you know it was, it's it's one of those things that happens. It was canny play. They uh, let, Racing slowed the ball down for Leinster. Uh, Leinster collapsed Racing malls. Racing slapped down Leinster passes. Um but I have to say I don't feel um in the, in the abstract I feel sympathy for Racing fans because, you know, it's very tough to see your team beaten in the last two minutes. But I, I felt that Racing played a very uh, restrictive game plan. Um I I don't think they were super negative or nihilistic or anything like that. But they didn't. They didn't try and uh, try and uh, attack Leinster that much, and I, st- I sort of think they got what they deserved.
0: I think okay. it should be said as well that the the canniest and the wiliest of all the cheaters was uh, not cheaters. Uh, let's just say the canniest, the most devious of the lot of them uh, was one Dunica Ryan, uh, yeah. who. If you remember when Levy got the ball that was thrown over the top of the line out and made the break and then got penalised for dragging it back in. And I was there, where's Luke McGrath? Where was Luke McGrath? So I watched it back and Luke McGrath had been pushed onto the side of the rook by Dunneke Ryan who just trailed him and pushed him with his elbow uh, twice. hadn't um, hadn't been, hadn't, you, you couldn't see it unless you went, actually you went looking for it but he knew exactly it was very, very clever. It he, was very he clever was, because uh, I,
2: I didn't see it. I, I had the same um, I had the same complaint as you going, where is Luke McGrath here? And then I saw him when I rewatched watched it uh, for my penance, I saw him standing at the side of the Go, going, what's, what's he done there? it was only when you pointed it out to me that I figured out what he'd done.
0: And then the, there's one, and there's one ruck at the end where Devon Toner would make the tackle and Ryan clears him out, but he elbows him in the face while doing it. And again, like, you can't see it because he, he makes it look, it's just imperceptible. Yeah. But the first thing that makes context and is uh, the elbow. And uh, he was, you just sort of go, God, like, how much of this stuff does he do? Like, the, the, least, the thought process. The least
2: devious was uh, Brian LaRue, who was, who was fired up and uh, ready to go um you know, between getting in Sexton's face from the from the get go, uh and and just being a big physical presence around the pitch. And that's what Racing brought to that final was huge physicality. Um oh, sorry, what a cliche, huge physicality in the final. Well, that's no surprise. Um they also brought what turned out to be a quickly used third choice out half and an outstanding Standing second choice scrum half like Ribéren who none of us were at all familiar with uh, um, last week it would be very difficult to see Machinot playing any better than a Ribéren played
1: how much of the um, limited nature of their game plan do you think was dependent upon the fact that they were called into using Thales so quickly or do you think realistically they would have played pretty much like that anyway
2: I, I think that I think uh I think both really like, Talas wouldn't have had an awful lot of time training with the team in the build up uh they would have been presuming that Lambie was start and Carter would be their finisher and uh, so I don't think Talas would have had an awful lot of time with the team, but i you know he's a twenty he's a i think he's thirty three or thirty four he has twenty five French caps he's been a French starter in the six nations like he's a very very capable out half with a huge amount of experience so um, it wasn't like they were throwing in a, a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old fellow there. So I think that they set out to play a limited game.
0: I, I w- if you remember, though, the move that Lambie got injured in, and it was the only thing that he did, but they, they hit Chavancy up the middle to make uh, Henshaw sort of bite in, and then got Lambie rolling around the back outside him, so off the top of the line-out, and their line-out was obviously very good. Um, and they use Lambie's pace in the middle of the knowing that uh, Henshaw would struggle to to sort of go one way and then come back the other way. And, you know, Henshaw's a brilliant defender, but a lot of guys are going to struggle. So I think they would have used Lambie as an attacker more, um, basically, had he been on the pitch, and the, and they couldn't do that mm-hmm. with Talis because Talis doesn't have the same the same threat and the same skill set. That said, I think, had they looked to play like that, Eriberen wouldn't have kicked us off. And, I mean, if you're going to fault Eriberen for anything, he threw one or two passes that were a bit wild but that was more than offset by his his kicking at a hand which was magnificent place kicking as well and his place kicking was excellent
1: um we had talked before uh recording this about um the nature of the final being very pro 14 like and also being quite like top 14. Sorry, top 14, like a -a man-up-a-thon, as it were. Mm. Um, I don't know uh, if Racing have another um, normal final to compare it to because their other other top 14 final was a 14 against 15 for a long time. Mm. Um, So, yeah, there's very little... There's a small sample size anyway, but there's also, like, there's no evidence that they were going to choke it around. (laughs) Um,
2: I think it's just that... Uh, French uh, approach to their to their top fourteen finals. There was a period, post even when if you go back to um, Perpignan or in, in the late two or late late aughts, and then Clermont. Most of those games were still you know if there was a try in them it was one try, and then a load of penalties. And then I remember watching some absolute stinkers of games, like. Cast were in two finals in a row, and everyone was like, did I see Cast in the final? But if you watch the games, they were they were dire. Mm. I remember seeing a Toulon-Toulouse game when Guthrou Steenkamp won uh, Man of the Match deservedly. It was a final, and it was another dog of a game. And like this penalty fest, run into each other, uh, real lack of attacking intent, just kick the ball, uh, challenge, Loads of tackles, try and get a penalty somewhere, you know, for the whole eighty minutes. Um, so, you know, that's that is that. Uh, somebody put put the worded very well to me recently. They said it was a a Gallic final rather than a European final, um, which I, which I thought was really well put.
0: The cast comparison, it's appropriate because it's where Travers and Lebe the the Le Durelans, de, 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 de it's where they won the it's where they won the bouclier that got them the wrestling job mm-hmm. and i think the other thing about that is it's a, it's very much a coaching duo so we we're chatting last week mainly about ulster and the director of rugby head coach job and the sort of the pressure on kieran keen coming in and then the lancaster cullen model really seems to knit together but I didn't cop it at all beforehand that they were up against another coaching duo in, in Lebby and Travert who have, were at Monteban with each other before going to cast and if you remember Monteban played uh, Munster in the first of the Heineken Cup matches in oh I'm going to say like 2011 I think it was in Thalmont and they played them on a Friday night and it it end, like monster Munster won but yeah, it was like they didn't they didn't win by or yeah, something. They like that, by it, very, yeah, they didn't win by very, very much. And I thought that Racing were extremely well coached. I thought that all their players really understood what their roles were. I thought that they like for example using Nakarawa as a guy to block down the ball and just the discipline that he had off the side of rooks to sort of stay low and mm-hmm. to like just get that little bit of he was you know, he was offside or he was he was bordering on offside he was pretty bordering on it let's let's call it that but he, he kept himself small so he didn't mm. make himself and then he sprung up and he like he's like a volleyball player at the net um and he he got very close a number of times but again like it was just his, his awareness of what he had to do in that role and they were really well prepared to do it as leinster were like i mean centers,
2: their centers how their centers defended really dominated Leinster's midfield, uh, both Shivansi and Vacta were really disciplined players, in terms of how quickly they came up and how quickly they came up together. Yeah, and put Stay immense connected. pressure. staying yeah. connected. And um, and Leinster couldn't change the way that the game was going. You know, to give further credit to Racing, uh, they they decided how the game was going to be played.
0: in uh, the other thing, though. Y- I think that because Leinster won so well and played so well against Scarlets, that I think Leinster fans were hoping for a coronation. Like I had Leinster winning by thirteen or fourteen in my prediction last mm-hmm. week, and I thought, I oh, I you know, maybe four. if it stayed drier, then they might have scored more points. But I like I I, I underestimated. I knew that I knew like Benarus and LaRue would be strong over the ball, but I didn't think that the Racing guys would last as long as they did and would compete as strongly mm. and it will be so effective and maybe you can sort of you can say the rain but then if you look at the way the leinster played they kicked a huge amount of ball up in the air to compete against teddy thomas who is a lot better going forward than going backward and mark who's five like five six five seven yeah um, and rob carney is really really strong in the air so and like
1: no one any of those balls at no. all No,
0: and it, like, it, it was an obvious tactic for leinster to pursue and they were very disciplined about doing it as well. So it, it was... It, the coaching staff from both teams are very good and sort of dictated the way that the game will be played. And I think that it became a real cup match. And oh, yeah. I, I mean, apart from the sort of the anxiety watching the match and jumping off the couch when Carney got done for the high tackle uh, after Gibson Park had, had, had cleared the ball, The I love the cup... Match. I fucking Tenement
2: hated thought. that game. Which oh, is, I it was just a, a it was a nerve shredder. I thought it was a, like I, I thought all the time that I was watching if there was gonna be, like some there was gonna be some, you know line breaks or clever play at some stage, and then I realised that there's going this game is running out of time. People are only gonna tighten up, and there's gonna be none. So then I rewatched the game to see if it was better if I had just been affected by the, my. <laughs> Nervous disposition that afternoon, and the game was was tough, and there was not a lot of good rugby in it. I and I I, I don't think it was. Uh, I like I would stand by that. I don't think there was an awful lot of good rugby, in it. there was actually a lot of mistakes, and there was a lot of penalties. There was a lot of kicking from hand, some very good kicking from hand, some very ordinary kicking from hand. Um, there was a lot of like this. There was a lot of collapsed scrums which were allowed to play on.
1: Uh, yeah, they really have to like. They need to figure out some kind of law with that. Yeah, I mean, well, there's to, a lot of laws that you know it's
2: a difficult game to referee. You know, but, uh, the, but there's a lot of laws that they need to figure out.
1: Yeah, I, I was, I mean, I just don't. I mean, the scrum, no one earned anything off any of us. We earned one free kick mm. off the of scrums, and that was it. Um,
0: I don't think either side were hard done by. The-
1: no, no, no. I think um, uh, when I rewatched it, I was I was preparing to be aghast at the amount of calls that I was uh, outraged by, and I just didn't find them on. And then I, I saw a proper replay of the knockdown. I was like, the argument for it not being yellow card, which came from uh, J. P. Doyle, and was immediately like hook line and sinker uh, bought by. Um, Wayne Barnes was that they had manned up outside on defence, so there was no reason for it to be a yellow card, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, anyway, but I was trying, I was trying to think of like, is there some way that this um, a game like this could be like less of a stalemate? Is it like the the main the
0: the thing that I wrote down or the thing I went looking for his name? And I was trying to say, you know that referee, the South African referee who's, who sort of looks like Zuber. So I found it, it, was Mark Lawrence. Mark Lawrence did a game, Ireland-England in 2010. And it was the last time I remember a referee being really strict on the highmost foot from the beginning of the game. Um, and it made it, it made it a really, really good game because there was a bit of space. Whereas I think it's, it's one of the features of matches, like even, even at the end, Racing Racing lost it for two o- by two offside penalties mm. near the end. But sure, like it was coming. Yeah. Because they were they were flirting with it all day. And but even Andrew Porter, like, look, I was you know, Andrew Porter's twenty one. Mm-hmm. Um and just that sort of decision making. And he didn't give away well, he gave away the mall penalty, but like he he didn't give away offside penalties. But even in the middle of the pitch, I was looking at him doing it. I look at Kieran Frawley doing it. The matches that he plays, like I call him creepy Frawley because he's always offside, in the middle of the pitch, and that would be the biggest thing that I would say the game needs to improve on. And it could be done by touch judges shouting done. in yeah. to the referee yeah. th- when guys are offside because th- there's limited enough attacking space. And it's one of like you know if you watch the ancient matches or not, not even like, they're not even ancient. Just, just sort of old amateur matches and maybe even some of the sort of early stage professionalism the line speed just isn't as intense as it is now and as a consequence there's more attack than rugby just going back though on the point about who played well and there was there was very little good rugby there was one man who made uh, b- b- pretty three breaks in the last ten minutes or set up stuff and it was Gary Ringrose he he set off. he set up Fardy he sort of did a run and a step, and then he he, he let it out to the right hand side to Levy, who went he maintained like straight line, and then Fardy went up, and that was that was a big uh, gain of ground for Leinster. It was actually the pre it was the play that led up to the equalising penalty, and then he caught a pass later on from Henshaw, where he was running it. Like Henshaw had to really put it through his hands quick because, as you say, that like, the the Chavoncy of and Vakatawa had a lot of line speed, and again he sort of. He he drove his legs through contact, and then at the at the end he hit that uh, hard line from Sexton from out right near the end, and he and he broke through again, and like it was excellent play all the way through. And he's he's really strong ring Rose. He he and he picks really good lines. Feet, he doesn't yeah. Well Did that and last fought and
2: one against Fakatawa. Um. You now he was sort of through the tackle before he was hit, but he had to. Roll around, um, you know, sorry, of pivot around, and then you know, he was losing his balance, put his hand on the ground without losing his momentum. Uh, I, I felt an, he didn't have a good first half. Um, so it was, it was really showed, um, good stick to us to come back into the game, you know, because really, you know, Jordan Armour wasn't in that game at all, no, um. Robbie Robbie Henshaw was in it a little bit, a nice midfield break, Um, but uh, like there was the, I think that Rassing midfield defence really impressed me, and and, you know Talis impressed me in his his uh, role in that defence thing, as he wouldn't have wouldn't have run with that uh, team very much. One of the things about both um, Talis had that high tackle on on Henshaw where. he yeah, you know, sort of clipped him in the chin a bit when Henshaw was going very low, and think it was something that we talked about watching the game and. Some there's, there was an incident, uh, when very early in the game when, Ringrose hit Vacatow up high and it was more or less a head to head collision, chest to chest, head to head, and it was it was given as a high tackle, um, and that's that's okay I suppose, uh, and then Robbie Henshaw was hit by Doopy Show. In a complete head-to-head collision with no ducking or anything like that, and it's just uh, it's decided that that's an accidental collision, uh, and and there's a there's some really odd refereeing decisions coming from um, where playing playing <laughs> dates are long past us, uh, and what, what we see we see things that are called high tackles which. Just don't look like high
0: tackles to me. There's two. If I had a complaint about the refereeing, one would have been the not marshaling the offside line well enough. The second would be penalties given for sort of high tackles, dangerous tackles. That like I thought the one Levy on, had one Levy on, on Chevance C, yeah, where he sort did the seat, but Talizan, like, he wasn't. He wasn't. Talizon like, Henshaw. Talizon Henshaw wasn't. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like Henshaw was sliding into it, and then Vakatawa got done for Carney for tip, but like. Carney was really, really trying to get to ground. Mm. A vakatawa was holding his leg, and you know, kind of, kind of, kind of dropped him, kind of gave him a little nudge, and it was a penalty. And it was uh, ah, it just echoed the, the pathetic game, as it was, it was miles too technical, and it. it and I don't think, I, I, don't think those... I don't think it deserved. It. I don't think either of those but any think, of those deserved I think penalties. those things
2: are protecting people from head injuries, which is the reason that World Rugby would say that they've introduced those quite draconian measures where people falling on their head are getting hit in the head. The reason I think they introduced them is because they're wary of a class action lawsuit, which is going to happen whether or not they like it. They'll just have to show that they're trying to mitigate the effects of, of high tackles. But, yeah. you know, it, it's, to, 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 give, to give penalties for those incidents, those, just because they happen and, and you, you see them, like there are so many worse head collisions in rugby, uh, than in, in that, even in that game alone, mm. than those little itty-bitty falling into tackles caught him around the shoulder with a seatbelt, and he's going, "That's a penalty now."
1: Mm.
2: you know? Uh, so I, think, I think, and uh, I think there's I just don't think that I, I don't agree with that with that seatbelt tackling. I don't think that's a high tackle. Sometimes it is, like at the referee's discretion. You know, but saying that every every tackle that goes a little bit over the shoulder, if you're reaching over something, you don't hit them in the head, but it's over their shoulder.
0: That to me is not a high tackle.
1: Seatbelts, after all, are safe. So,
0: <laughs> someone needs to stop him. The cloud didn't like that.
1: You had mentioned about um, the depth that Lencer had called on. Uh, at number 10 um, throughout the competition, and particularly in, I think it was at Exeter, or Montpellier at home and Exeter at home.
2: Exeter at home was the one I was referring to in that, in that brief conversation we had earlier. It's when Joey Carby had broken his arm against Fiji, uh, so nominally Leinster's second choice out half. Ross Byrne uh, more or less has been Leinster's second choice half, but um, he, he was sitting on the bench against Exeter at home. Johnny Saxon got his bell rung within the first two or three minutes. And Ross Byrne played 74, 75 minutes of that game. Um, also got his bell rung. Um, So, you know, Leinster have had that. uh, They've had a very similar situation to which Racing went through, but they didn't have the benefit of being able to call up a 34-year-old Starting Six Nations, French out half. Yeah, with
0: twenty-two caps. Yeah, mm.
2: so, um, like I, I don't really feel, I don't really feel, I don't feel any sympathy for Rassing.
0: No, like shit happens in matches. Yeah, uh,
2: I feel sympathy for Pat Lambie getting injured. Yeah, you know, but for Rassing in general, just uh, no sympathy. I don't. Um. I, I I couldn't empathise with the way they tried to play. I don't hold it against them. I'm a big fan of collision rugby. I think it's a really legitimate way to play, but it has to be leavened with invention. And there was no invention from them.
1: Um, shall we look forward to the monster?
0: What did you think you to talk about? Well, I have Jordy Murphy, sort of Jack Cohen. Like, I'd I talk about Jordan's regrets would be the next thing. I'd. Uh, go on
1: to, um, Let me preface that. Yeah.
0: Because he lifted the cup. So that would be the...
1: So um, one of the men who... Um, two of the men who lifted the cup are leaving Leinster. One of them is retiring, but one of them is going up north. Geordie uh, Murphy um, has ended up playing a huge role in both Ireland and... Uh, Leinster's season this year having come back from that really bad injury he suffered against New Zealand and now he's going to go and play for uh, Ulster Um, and it just seems a bit strange all of a sudden
0: a number of people wrote about uh, well everybody's mentioned Geordie's regrets so I can understand if you've started in the Heineken Cup final and then you're going up to a team that you don't know who's going to you know McFarland's going to coach you they
2: mightn't even be in the Heineken Cup next
0: year they mightn't even be in it but well, they might. <laughs> um, I know. And you know McFarland's going to be there, but you're not exactly sure when. And right it's, about Feb. It's an organization that doesn't look... It looks shambolic compared to the well-oiled machine that you're leaving. Of course, you're going to have regrets. But I wrote about Jordy Murphy after the 2015 World Cups. So I wrote about everybody. We did the report cards um, for each player, and we'd done the same thing in 2011. And the thing that concentrated my mind on Geordie Murphy was uh two guys in particular was uh, Keith Earls and Luke Fitz, who at that stage of their careers were with them in the in the prime well, Keith Earls has got better and Luke Fitz has retired. And they're the same age. Um and it was the danger of being a jack of all trades and not specialising. So it and I think it's it's also opposite that when you look at Keen Healy and uh, Johnny Sexton and Devon Toner and then add in Rob Kearney who of all all guys I mean the first three guys have started all four of those finals that Leinster have won and Rob Kearney has got four medals and they're all one position men
2: What do you think Jordy Murphy's position is going to be? I don't know You see I um, think Jordy I saw, Murphy's strength comes from his uh,
0: His versatility His versatility I think that's again like to be consistent on this I I think that's a real strength when you're younger, but I think if you well, want to have
2: played thirty four now and he's played all three back row positions.
0: But sure, Nianga disappeared from the French team for who knows why though. Who knows why for like, eight, like he just disappeared eight years ago, and he he would seem like the obvious guy to have played. But like look, France have had good back rows. Mm. Uh, they
2: might have thought he was too similar to do so far.
0: Yeah, when he when he was in his prime, but they might have thought he was too similar to Aaron Nordiki yeah, as, yeah. As a, you As know, a line-out player, a guy who could play in the flank, a guy who could play number eight. Um, so Comiskey referenced Geordie playing as open side and looking to become Joe Schmidt's open side, and it was the first I'd heard of it. So I, I was interested if Geordie had actually ever said that. Uh, if I could find a quote, um, I didn't look that hard for one. I thought that he could... It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Like he, he's he didn't start any matches in the league at number eight for Leinster. Uh, he started matches at six and at seven this mm. season. He started at eight. If in the you cup, want yeah. in the cup, if you want to do your best, you have to play one position. Now,
2: oh, I absolutely agree. You know, I'm I'm strongly agreeing with you on that. But I always look at. Uh, Geordie is underpowered for six, undersized for an eight, and uh, and not a natural uh, and not a natural open side. I think he gives you like he's he's actually a very good lineout player. He's very coachable. He's got pace. He's quite good hands, but he's a six. Like he's a one meter eighty eight, one oh six kilo number eight, which is extremely small by today's standards. So like think of him going up head to head against. Billy Van Apola, yeah. which he might have done in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen.
1: He doesn't have the raw ass power that most of number eights have.
2: Yeah, um, and I don't. I don't fancy him as a as an open side compared to Levy Van Der Flair or um, Sean O'Brien.
0: Yeah, so uh, time will tell. But I, time I will think tell. I've I,
2: never liked him as I've never liked him as number six. I actually think that's his worst position in the in the back oh, I just don't think he's destructive enough.
0: I would say number eight. I like him as an eight. I think eight's his But
2: best. I think he's under I think he's undersized for an international number eight. Is his best they'll be, they'll be could see it at number eight well also well,
0: we'll hope they will be. Whatever it is, Jordy has to play one position to to do best for Jordy. And it it'll, it'll be an interesting story in in how it in how it plays out because you know the organisation he's going to isn't as good um, he's a guy that has, has benefited from his versatility up to then but I am I am very definite that it's 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 a it's a blessing when you're a younger player and it's a curse when mm. you're an older player and calling it at some stage like is, is a necessity I think the other thing that's interesting and that we, we've we it's a guy he's a guy we've talked about is um, Conan because uh, well I've talked about him you've disparaged him I've disparaged him and What's his name? Tolan mentioned him in the commentary of, on the radio commentary of the match, journalist, and then referred to it again in his uh, in his analysis on Monday about how Leinster missed Sean O'Brien, and you go, geez, like Leinster missed Sean O'Brien for five years, and they've missed the 2012 edition of Sean O'Brien. Like, there's there's little precious little evidence that Sean O'Brien is the same destructive carrier in 2018 that he was in 2012, right? Yeah. So l- let's just leave that where it is. The guy who was on the bench who, you, who I would associate with being a big ball carrying Leinster number eight is Jack Conan. And I thought it was, it was a sort of a sin of omission the fact that he's not the first name that Tonant looks to refer to when he's looking for a big ball carrying number eight. Because you pointed out to me after I said, geez, Jack Conan made very good tackles against the Ospreys, that he's one of the best tacklers. In the Leinster squad, yes, I think he is the best. He's up there with Levy and James Ryan, who are excellent tacklers, right? So if you, if and and Josh van der so like I mean, if you were the fourth best tackler in Leinster, fine, like you're you're in very good company. So and he's he's a big ball carrying guy, and he's a fella that like look if you're Jordy and you're sticking around at Leinster, you could easily be the third choice number eight. Uh, after two months of next season behind Conan and Deegan, yeah. he could be the fourth choice, or he could be the third choice open side behind van der Fleer and Levy, and he could be the third choice blind side behind O'Brien and Ruddock. Like it isn't a no brainer to stay at Leinster at the same stage. The interesting thing for me, just going back to Conan, is how does how does he develop? Because he was a guy who was in pole position with Heathcliff retiring, with Deegan not yet coming through to. That was his opportunity to throw down a marker. Now, he got a medal and he played in the final and he did well. But, like, I think he psychologically... He he also
2: played, he played in all six group games, you know, and then he, uh, we, we talked about it briefly previously in that he picked up that injury about halfway through the first half of the Italian game and missed... You know, missed the second half entirely. So he got 40 minutes, where he, he probably would have been looking to play the full 80 against Italy. And then when he came off the bench against Wales, he made a defensive error, and he got the chop. It was a ruthless decision from Joe Schmidt. I remember having a chat about it on the podcast. When I thought he was definitely going to get back in, and I hadn't even considered Jordy Murphy until you brought it up. And then i remember thinking, oh, that's that's good. Jordy's been playing well. And since then geordie's gone from strength to strength whereas jack conan came back in got injured against the ospreys for leinster and then you know was unavailable for selection against the saracens and um was he unavailable against this Come on, no against he played the played against the scarlets yeah, yeah against Rasmus, so no. so he, he he couldn't um he just couldn't shift Jordy murphy from the right jersey because he played really well but Colin did well when he came on in the final
0: he did, did he, he did well when he came on in the final I'm really just curious that can he can he become really really good at the two things that he's already pretty good at which is ball carrying and tackling mm. because if he can the, there's definitely mileage to be made and the comparison I have in my head and, and, and you've got to do it in big matches
2: well big matches <laughs> is the key thing and
0: the comparison I have in my head is like Peter Omani is an outstanding line player like he's he's a he's a top trumps ten out of ten line-up player, and if you were to look at the rest of his game and break it down, I don't know, I don't know, if, I wouldn't give him above eight in 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 his next best thing, whatever that is, but he's done it in big matches, like okay. when he when he came out when he I know he's going to be on the bench against England, but he came in cold. In terms, of he wouldn't have expected to get as many minutes. He wouldn't have expected a start. He's a her in that game. He he and that wins you ten or twelve caps. That sort of man of the match. Oh, it does. Like and not just against anybody, against a team going for back to back grand slams. So you've you've got to do it in big games, and it's it's the reason why Ringrose's performance in the last ten minutes is one of the things I think that will differentiate him from, you know, Chris Farrell, but any any of the other centres as well. That like Ringrose has that ability when the chips are really down to give you a little bit something extra in attack. Because mm. um, be there's going to be competition for places pretty much it's all over the place in Ireland. I
2: was just thinking of uh, Robbie Henshaw picked up an injury, knee injury. And at this stage of the season, we are getting close to our, Argentine, or our Australian tour. And I know there's games, important games come before then. But I was trying to think of, oh, who else? Obviously, Aki would be your first choice, 12 in, in, in Henshaw's absence. But Schmidt has, has capped five players at number 12 in the last 16 months. Aki in all the six Nations games and the two uh, major games in November. Mm. McCluskey against Fiji in November, uh, Henshaw in the previous year's six nations. Uh, and then scandal against USA and Japan. Uh, sorry, Marshall against USA and Japan and scandal against Japan in the in the last mm. test. That's five number twelves picked in um, picked in, in sixteen months, and you know one from each one from each province. Well, two from Ulster, you know. So there is depth there. At at thirteen, you're you're looking either, you know. Farrell obviously has a significant injury, uh, but Ringrose, Henshaw, uh, I think I think there's you know there is depth. Um, I don't think I don't think Gary Ringrose's performance in uh, in the final showed us anything else anything more than like a. Uh, it wasn't... Like, his, his try against Claremont in the semi-final last year was fucking amazing. You know, it was better than anything he did in, in the final.
0: Yeah, it was better than most of all season. <laughs> better, better than everything ever.
1: Um, speaking of rearrangements of midfield, so we, we look like we... Uh, Leinster look like they don't have... Uh, definitely not Henshaw uh probably not Issa or johnny well let's say that they were definitely johnny wasn't able to take kicks and he had done some to his groin and Issa was hobbling around at the end of the match what's the phrase uh or to combat correct um what kind of rearrangement would you expect to see when leinster line up against munster
2: good question I expect to see Gary Ringrose at 12 and Rory O'Loughlin at 13. I'll tell you why. Rory O'Loughlin has been a member of the Leinster senior squad for two seasons. He has played Munster four times in those two seasons. He started every game and he's played 80 minutes in every game. Three of them is an outside centre, one of them is a wing. Noel Reed has played 100 games for Leinster in seven seasons and has never started a game against Munster. He's played against them four times, all of them off the bench. So his total minutes against Munster add up to less than a full match, less than eighty minutes. Um there's certain things I really like about No game, you know, in in like he's a really good passer and he's a really well balanced runner. But there's a lot of things which, you know, he has not shown the ability to play at the very spiky end of of the season or in competition. I don't think he's uh, a strong enough tackler. I don't think he's. Uh, he shows the ability to get over the game line frequently in in those number twelve situations, frankly. And I think he's a rabbit at the breakdown. When you combine that with the fact that he doesn't kick, he has, he has never plays kicked for a Leicester senior team, despite the fact he used to be a very good place kicker, and doesn't even kick the ball that frequently. There's a lot of there's a lot of gaps in this game, and I don't think that it would stand. And now he played played against Glasgow in the Heineken Cup this year and scored a try when Glasgow were alive in the first Glasgow game away. Mm. So, you know, like I've just piled on him there. But there are certain parts I like about him, but I think it's a realistic appraisal of of where he is as a player. And I think that the fact that he hasn't been picked to play against Munster, which is traditionally our biggest interpro, by any one of three coaches, Schmidt, O'Connor or Cullen, uh, I don't think that's by accident.
1: And who would you expect to be lining out in the 10 jersey on the presumption of Johnny Sexton's absence? Carberry.
2: Aeroflot. Aeroflot. <laughs> Not Aeroflot. <laughs> we want Aeroflot.
1: Uh, why, why Aeroflot? <laughs> given that Carberry is um, just going to like play tipper against the Munster lads, uh, jinking around, throwing great passes off either hand, but uh, essentially, staying in his own 22 and never kicking the ball. Um, how do you see the game going?
2: I think in Leicester, um, I think there would be a frustration of being um, taken, to having their game plan taken away from them by Rassing. And I think Leicester would be really, really attacking, especially at home. Like when I say attacking, I mean attack with ball in the hand all the time. You know, they have the added bonus. I know that they're definitely going to want to go for a double. Uh, That almost goes without saying. Mm -hmm. But there's no doubt in my mind that there's a hierarchy of importance and Europe is the big one compared to the Pro 12. If you ask, I think if you ask every single member of the squad which one they want to win this year, Europe or the Pro 12, I think every 100% of them would say Europe. So now that that's in the bag, there has to be a feeling of confidence there. Maybe it's a feeling of Mission accomplished. I don't know.
0: I would expect Munster to bring the highest level of physicality that they have brought all season Mm -hmm. in this match, in the hope of giving themselves the best chance. And I think that I think there was a lot of aimless. I think there was a lot of I won't say aimless. There was a lot of maybe um, frustrating as a as a sideline participant in a match frustrating kicking in the Munster Edinburgh, Edinburgh match game. but I think there was a reason to it that even if like it wasn't really really good I wouldn't call it aimless like the, the objective was to keep Edinburgh in their own half and to force them to to force them to attack and create stuff and I think it's it's instructive that okay so let, Edinburgh did on a, on occasion counter attack from kicks but they counter attack from diagonal kicks so Monster, monsters tight five defend well around the side of the rook and they slow it down when they're playing those sort of those vertical kicks. If you want to put it like the vertical passing game of mm-hmm. of, a, of America's game, the the, the Raiders of basically Conor Murray box kicks, mm-hmm. or if Hanrahan kicks like you know a high, yeah, Gary of, Owen, a Gary Owen essentially. Uh, it means that the tight five don't have to they can just go straight they up they don't the pitch. have to matriculate the ball down the field they don't have to matriculate across the pitch and try to get into position because when he did that when Hanrahan did that with the diagonal kicks because he, he hit one dinger in early oh in yeah match. yeah I remember and like it was a 50 yard gain and I think they scored Marshall scored off the yeah off the, the mid throw the consequent yep. line it but he did it twice more and it cost them like 70 60 70 yards um, Blair
2: Kinghorn striding yeah
0: because just basically because their tight five couldn't get across quick enough to, to stop the ball coming out but when Munster do get their defence organised they're a difficult team to play against so I would expect them to, to bring as physical as they possibly can against Leinster and, yeah, like you said, I would expect Leinster to put a bit more air on the ball because, um, possibly because, the mid- like, I mean, the hand is going to be forced if if Sexton's not playing because mm. Carby doesn't have any other way of playing. Now, if Ross Byrne plays, like, Ross Byrne always puts air in the ball and that would be one of my criticisms of him is that, like, he's just always waiting to throw...
1: Crossfield kick
0: Crossfield, kick or, a big, or a crossfield a, kick or a big spin pass You know He's just absolutely Gagging to play it And he sort of wandered Across the pitch Now JJ Hanrahan sort of Wanders across the pitch As well And that's It's 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 one of the The fact that Hanrahan Got promoted After The match Against Racing Is Like I think it's A passing of the baton So there, There's an opportunity For Hanrahan I think Munster Have probably decided I, don't say Mozart, I think Johan van Graan has probably decided we're not going to Keith is not good enough we're not going to win like I'm, I'm going to he's not necessarily bound to what public opinion is but I think he's probably looking at it and gone, ah shit like I mean I like Keats. I think he's played well for us but
1: the ceiling isn't high enough the ceiling
0: isn't high enough yeah. and he's we're going to give JJ a go but like JJ has to play closer to the game line in order to take advantage of that and, you know, look the grand the the, the best guy is, is Dan Carter and he you could see him chewing his gum in, in the stands so like he's he's a harsh man to compare against. But Deans was, was talking about him and Dean's so this is uh, Robbie Deans and he was saying to he he could see Carter playing at school, how good he was gonna be and he was saying to Carter's dad, Look, tell Dan just to be ready for how quick it's gonna happen and one of the things that he said about him is that like you you couldn't know what he was gonna do. 'Cause he had the ability to play so close to the game line. I didn't know that and about to Deans run, and Carter to pass, to kick. Um and he well, said like some some kids, like some I can't remember the guy's name, but he he developed uh quicker than Dan Carter as a as a teenager. So he was playing more rep football. I think it was a guy in the same school, like, mm. you know, so um he probably had a better name from school, but Dean's just goes, geez, like this guy's brilliant. Uh he's uh, like let's get him, let's get him involved. But Carter, and it's the same, like, I mean, he watching Carter reminds me of watching Aaron Rodgers. Like, Rodgers in the the Green Bay quarterback holds mm-hmm. on to the ball as long oh. as he possibly can before he gets hit. And he, like, I won't say he doesn't mind getting hit, but he's prepared to hold on to that ball. And, like, I look at Rodgers and I go, Jesus, like, there can't be anybody on his defense or on his O line who won't play for Aaron Rodgers. Mm. And I'm amazed he's only won one Super Bowl because he's.
2: Tom Brady keeps
0: going, though. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then blanding it up in his interviews. But, I think, it, but I, think, I think it's one of the great characteristics of a guy, and Sexton's a guy who can play like that. He's he's really uh, prepared to take hits, and he's really prepared to take it to the line. Um, so the question is, you know... It's
2: incredibly of- difficult to to do that as well. oh. it's not just It's not just a case of deciding who I'm going to play flatter. Now, you can decide to play flatter. And you just don't have the, the time to assess what's happening in front of you. You make bad reads or you get smashed, and you, you end up looking like a first center playing at, at ten, just collecting a load of hits and bruises. Yeah, and it's a really difficult thing to do. And, and like we, I remember when Sexton in, in two thousand seven eight was a divil divil a divo, divo man for running across the pitch. Always running across the pitch. You know.
1: Um. On the, and, but on the subject then of like. J.J. Hanrahan yeah. and the passing of the baton to him. Uh, it seems like like it's kind of another season where he's getting a go at the end of it, though, by default because Tyler Blahendale is has is, is got another bad injury. I think you're absolutely and right. And Keatley's just kind of like, he's just, the whole thing's kind of run its course. He didn't have a great game in the biggest game of their season thus far. So he's kind of lost his position. And it's just like, J.J. Hanrahan hasn't done anything particularly impressive like he hasn't had a better game than either Ross Byrne or Joey Carby this season. Like I, I think that's
2: I think that's a fair thing to say. It is it's um it's not that JJ has forced his way into the team like the way that Conor Murray did in, in twenty twenty uh, eleven. 2011. Um I always say it because I remember seeing Conor Murray in September, it was either two thousand nine or two thousand ten, he played in Donnybrook uh for Munster A versus Lensray and he looked to me like very obviously like an outstanding good scrum half uh, that was gonna that was gonna play for Ireland um so I wasn't that surprised when he got the nod and did well but I was surprised that uh Tony McGann kept on picking him that was the right thing to do clearly the right thing to do but that was a That was a ballsy call from Tony McGann. Because
0: Munster's other scrum halves were Tomas Oleary and Peter Peter Stringer. Stringer, You know? Mm. current Irish scrum half and the best Irish scrum half for a long, long time. Until Conor Murray, until fairly recently in my estimation, when Murray overtook Stringer. But I have immense regard for Stringer. Yeah. And
2: um, there is nobody probably, certainly in the pro era, maybe ever, who who put more into it and got more out of it than, than Peter Stringer. You know, uh, like 98 caps and still going.
0: Playing until he was 40. Still playing, yeah. You know,
2: an amazing player put. But, but uh, sorry, we've got to tangentise there. JJ hasn't forced his way in. He's, other lads have sort of fallen off. What? It just, it, I just, and I'm it, a word with, Yeah, I have to say, that, like, I'm a fan of JJ Hanrahan and I have been for a long time. Um, and I, I remember consistently in the earlier days of the Mo writing about how... Paddy Jackson was being given the absolute A number one kid gloves treatment from Ulster, and J.J. Hanron was getting not quite the bum's rush, but uh, he wasn't being treated like this is... He was being treated like he was just... Like they had no plan
1: for him. Well, like, they brought him back last year. They announced that they're going to bring him back from Northampton. And then, like, obviously they changed coach in, like, a kind of more tumultuous fashion than they would have liked... But it just seemed, I mean, it seemed obvious to me and obviously I don't see their training session so maybe there was something he was lacking or conviction or whatever. But like, they should have been going like, well, we're bringing him back for a reason. He's starting out half and we're going to make something of him.
0: I think there's a bit, I wouldn't agree with the phrase bringing him back because it looks like you've recaptured him. I think there was a bit of a JJ came back with his tail between his legs. Like he went to Northampton where Stephen Myler, and Myler's name doesn't resonate in Ireland. He's not a guy who's been capped by England, even when there was a bit of a revolving door policy in England. But he's a Northampton legend. Like he was he was just constantly their number ten for the, mm. the guts of a decade. Yeah. And like he's, games. he's a he's like, you know, he's a put it this way, he's a journeyman pro, but he's a top end journeyman mm. pro. He's the sort of guy and the name that we omitted when we were sort of chatting about uh, Jack Conan and Jordy Murphy is uh, Colin, James Colin. Like, he's 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 the James Colin of Northampton out-half play mm-hmm. in that he's he he doesn't have a stellar CV. Good analogy. But he is a guy Consistently that shows if you, up if that you, you support his team, he's a guy who's 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10 minimum mm. all season. And, like, you know, when we say he all plays, season... And plays every game for you. Not just when he plays, like, yeah. all season. Bloke doesn't get injured. Tough as nails... Uh, he could do with a lot of them and Hanrahan Hanrahan's stock was lower when he returned to Munster than when he went over now I think sort of going back to the Paddy Jackson thing I think that had Rob Penny stayed there and we talked about this previously but like, you need a guy as a player you need somebody to take, champion you. take a chance and champion yeah. you and pick you and believe you and it's one of the things like I think that Cullen has done it really well in Leinster and I think that it's the bit that i'm certainly of the opinion that the most important thing that the coach does is pick the team selection is what it's all about and it, like it looks that's very interesting it looks really obvious when you pick a good team it looks well of course he picked them and you know of course he's also picked
2: guy. Cullen also picked some
0: stinkers
2: do you remember the team he picked against wasps in his first season with everyone playing everywhere in the wrong positions Do you remember he had madzer playing at 15 for playing at 13 no, replaying really at 12. It's a, I don't
1: remember, but it doesn't sound good. We
2: lost, we lost 33-6 at home. And it was just... It was an absolute Frankenstein's monster. It was a dog's team. dinner. It was after the World Cup. I think and... people...
1: I always think people are overly harsh on Pe- us. People who you disagree with? People who I disagree with. General people, the unnamed general people <laughs> who I can't attribute any quotes <laughs> to whatsoever. I always think that... Sources. That campaign is looked back upon overly harshly, like... Leinster just fired their coach for the first time since they'd fired Declan Kidney.
0: Well, Declan Kidney, Kidney left, didn't fire didn't get sorry, fired. Uh, Mark Ella? Glen, Ella? Glen Ella. Glen Ella. Glen Ella left kind of... Well, we had
1: four coaches in four years. It Glen was the Ella first time... in the
0: same manner that he did everything else. Just kind of a bit bumbling, bit confusedly, not really making any... Just wanted off. Just wanted yeah. Well, just,
2: you, know. The, you know...
1: Sorry, Leo. your point. Here. Leo took over... This is a
2: mole blast, not a mole cast.
1: Leo took over a car crash and... Like he, like just, <laughs> just
2: <laughs> kept pressing the
1: accelerator into the other car <laughs> until he got out of the way. A year later, <laughs> <laughs> and then reversed
0: over somebody and then hit, hit it back in again. No,
2: I agree. Because, I think, I think people, that's, that's what makes the story. That's what oh they've gone from rags to riches. You know, we, we didn't like the previous year we qualified for a semi final. Then we had a stinker of a tournament when we when we were. You know, it sent something like seventeen or nineteen people to the World Cup. I can't remember the exact figure, mm. and we had just a really, we just had a really upset start. To, like once we lost our first game at home,
1: yeah, kind of out of the group,
2: you were almost out, of the and group. we were
1: too long in the group, didn't we? Yeah, who were like reigning champions. So it was. A, I remember that match. It was a Sunday afternoon match. It was a Sunday
0: lunchtime match. Lunchtime, very yeah. early. Yeah. In the RDS, Beautiful and day. Wasps had brought over uh, a small but rowdy number. No, not a really rowdy, but uh, a funny number of. Uh, I just remember them chanting, Is it. there a fire drill? Is there a fire drill? When all the Leinster fans were streaming out the with, Blue 10 Hordes. Minutes, <laughs> with 10 minutes to go, to go to Rowley's for lunch. I'm missing my lunch appointment for this. I'm out of here. I only want success. <laughs> and. Doesn't everybody Doesn't everyone um, But look Cullen Colin learned from that Because the last match In Bath He pitched in All the youngsters And They did Second last game We also then went Over to wash And got Those same youngsters Got absolutely smashed hey. up Like Ben Johnson And uh, all the boys Uh-oh, But uh, God, They got the
2: shit kicked
0: out Yeah but again, Sorry you're right He yes, made his point The <laughs> match The match against Bath Was uh, pretty one of the things That one cullen time with the fans um i don't like i don't i don't think people are going to be sacking from but look th- this is this is a sort of a weird retrospective the, no picking-
2: i think it's more realistic than some of the nonsense i've read about uh, yeah but I, I, I don't th- think buying time with the fans like we we got to the we got to the the final of the pro 12 that year we finished top of the league you know we weren't that bad we had a bad cup campaign uh, and it just, just could have got off to a dreadful start and then wouldn't be too long in our group
0: I think, I think the main thing for me is that he got better at picking a team
2: yeah he did get much better because that that first not that first European Cup team was disastrous
0: and picking a team is the most important thing that a coach will do. But I'm
2: not sure about it I think that's really interesting to talk about um, like Lancaster doesn't pick the team and everyone everyone was name checking him all the players were name checking him and saying what he's brought to the team is amazing You know, in terms of, um, well, mostly they just say his overall coaching, which sounds such a vague way of saying it, but in everything he does, in the intensity he brings, in the invention he brings, in the communication, he he seems to just have wowed guys like they hadn't been wowed uh, since Schmidt arrived first arrived in, in 2010.
0: And different guys who I've talked to, like I've said this to a few guys who have coached, and they go, "Oh yeah, selection and tactics are the most important thing," or you know, the the sort of the caliber of your training is the the Lancaster. And you've recos. been on, you've
2: been on those, you've been. I remember we were talking about this recently, um, a coaching course a long, long time ago with. Uh, A number of guys who are pros.
0: Yeah, when you look back at the coaching course, it was a great room. Like The guys who were on the course, Mark McCall was on the course rather than giving the lectures, who's obviously coaching Saracens now. Dan McFarland was on the course. Uh, Goose, who coached the Irish Ladies to win. They got to the final of that World Cup Mm. team. He was on the course. Uh, There was other guys who coached AL Division 1 teams. Um and peter smith was honored who's coaching the academy team now so it was it was it was a good room um but i'm still thinking that the to to my mind selection
2: no no you've much more your opinion is more valid than mine this in
0: that you have coached teams for
2: a long number of years at this stage um but i just i just found it that uh, I actually felt a little bit sorry for um, I actually felt a little bit sorry for Leo, who doesn't need my sympathy, when uh, everyone was going, "Oh, Stuart Lancaster brilliant! Stuart Lancaster's brilliant!" directly, and people didn't even mention Leo's name. Like, whoops! I don't think
1: Leo. I don't I think you picked a team. Stacks in your <laughs> drops. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Colin minds that. You know? No, I don't
2: think he minds it. I don't think he minds it. Uh,
1: the consummately inoffensive Leo Cullen managed to annoy someone at the weekend as well because he. Uh, in his, in his note in one of his uh, certainly one of the notes that I read it was given out to the, the travelling supporters was uh, basically uh, people in Bilbao should like us because we're like Athletic Bilbao and that we produce our own players unlike the you know Rassing the, the rich man's club and Rassing were like hey hey there's loads of French guys in this yeah. team we pay for loads of players so he managed to finally annoy someone uh, but still not say anything of any interest <laughs> <laughs> It's just his way Ah uh, he's brilliant at it. And congratulations To him And more importantly To Stuart Lancaster
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting out here On the runway Waiting for the plane To leave And the captain says There'll be a short
1: delay Bear with me please They
2: gave the usual hassle Can't take those guitars on board But the boys in the band just smile Heard it all